The Rwando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit Rwando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on? Mr. Dean. <laughs> you actually, I wanted to tell you before we jump into anything, so we were exchanging voice notes and uh, I said something about how I haven't really ever done archery. Like I've hit a target with like a 24 pound bow and I've been trying to uh, hunt pigeons. I keep missing. Finally killed one. Mm. <laughs> <All right. laughs> like, like the next day after I sent that, I finally hit a pigeon. The, the pigeons have gotten sneakier though in eating my chicken food. Like as soon as I walk out before they would let me get a shot off and then they would fly away. And now as soon as like I touch the bow, they're all gone. So they've become harder to mm-hmm. eat, but I mean, h- harder to hit. Sorry. <laughs> well, you're probably kind of, you're kind of like accomplishing your objective there anyway. Well, they still, still eat like the chicken the food. food. They're just, they're just in and out faster. So they, they've actually upgraded their skills. Oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, you like a scarecrow with a, with a bow yeah in the yeah yeah so you, have you been uh shooting much lately yeah nearly every day i go at least five days a week i'm out there i go to the range i was just there right before i started this deal nice so we kind of got on this thread because you you messaged me about target panic like a john dudley thing could, mm-hmm. could you could you say that or could you explain that again that was really interesting yeah i was just having trouble like being consistent shooting consistently and um, like I shoot, shoot really good for a while, and then like uh, I did a tournament a couple weekends ago, and uh, it was like decent the first day, and then the next day I just kind of like I just fumbled in, it just like went terrible, not not terrible, terrible, but I missed like I just uh, it was a 3D shoot, so I don't know if you've ever seen like the animals that are foam, big foam targets shaped like animals, and I just completely missed two of them, like it went low on two of them. And, they're just like rookie mistakes, you know, that I made because I wasn't like focused, you know, like the uh, the first one I missed because I shot off the wrong pin on my site and just missed it. And then that put me in a, like a shitty headspace. And then I just missed the other one because I was just like, I got target panic. Target panic is like when you draw up and you're aiming and then you're just like, mind is racing about, you just get like this anxiety, this kind of like back and forth talking your mind about whether or not you're going to hit, like what the right thing to do is like you second guess all the ways that you're pulling your release, letting the bow go, letting, like everything in your mind just races. And then you just, of course you miss, you know, to do that. So I was like, well, I need to, I shoot really good at times, but I'm not as consistent as I want to be. I just saw a video by John Dudley, which he's an archer. He's a really pretty well-known guy. He's a hunter and he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast and like, He's like buddies with Joe Rogan and stuff. And um, he did a video about target panic and like how to cure it. And um, the video was about how to like just have consistency basically in your release. I shoot a compound bow, which you don't shoot off your fingers. You shoot off like a mechanical release and I use a thumb release. So it's like a device that hooks onto your string and then there's a like a trigger which is activated by your thumb. And that lets the string go because it's like it's more consistent than using your fingers. And, mm-hmm. and um, there's this phenomenon called called punching where when you draw back, you will like just punch the trigger in like a panicky sort of way. Like because when you when you're holding on a target, you'll kind of like be moving around a little bit. You're never just like totally still. It's like you move around and you just like think you're going to 
it's you kind of guess and it's like this half-ass sort of way of just like guessing and trying to like punch the button when you get over the middle of the site and it's a really inconsistent way to shoot and it's like uh, it's not a good deal so he was he was talking in the video about just getting to where your process is for one like the same all the time every time you pull the bow back do it the exact same way like hit the same sequence you know every time and then your release has got to come not by punching the button but you kind of like put your hand on your trigger squeeze it and hold it tight and then you pull pull with your arm like back behind you through the shot and as you pull your thumb will press that button and the now you're using like your whole upper back arm and shoulders to pull this button and it's a lot smoother and it's a lot more consistent so he had an exercise set up where you took the take the sight off your bow and you just get like right in front of the target and all you do is just work on just doing this getting this like release down consistently and the thing that i thought was interesting is like you're kind of guaranteeing yourself to hit the bullseye because you're so close yeah yeah because the whole it's thing not, you're kind of making a metaphor with this like to like hitting targets in life right that's the right yeah at that point you're not really even concerned about hitting the bullseye you just want to get close so you can hit the bail so you don't like you know you just want to have your arrows like hit the bail it's not really uh -huh. about hitting the bullseye because you're like i take my sight off so i'm not even aiming it's like you're doing something so basic that you're taking out like a part of the reason behind target panic is that you think about all these different like layers like when you draw back now all these different thoughts come in your head about what, what you're supposed to be doing how you're supposed to be doing it and then you're trying to like juggle all these in this like panicky sort of way and then you you can't and you fail so the idea behind just taking the sight off and, and just using your release is that you're doing nothing but thinking about this motion of like drawing your shoulder blades together, pulling your elbow back behind you, holding your hand like firmly, and then just you want you want the bow to go to like go off by surprise so that you don't know the exact moment. You're just holding steady, holding steady, pulling through, and then boom, it goes off. So the idea of taking the sight off is that where you're not thinking about aiming at all. You're just doing this this motion over and over again. And just getting to where that's like memorized and natural and just like where you don't think about your release and how to release anymore. Mm -hmm. So that like when you do start shooting a target, like your focus is only on the target and not on how to like execute these like subtle things. Okay. And you find that like as you do this, I did this uh, drill every day, I went and shoot. There's a couple of days I went and shot and I just didn't shoot at a target at all. I, all I did was just, just I shot like a hundred arrows just like this. And it frees your mind up and lets you, when you get to where this motion is just natural and second nature, then it, it's like, it lets you relax and lets your mind ease up. There's less that you have to think about and you can just, and you're like, you know, you're like conscious, ego centered focus, I guess you could say, is only focused on you can just concentrate on like looking down range of the site and then like this process in your body is just kind of like it does itself. So that's kind of the idea behind it. And uh, since I started doing this exercise, like my shooting has gotten way better and just way more consistent. Like I, cause I would get a lot of good shots and then I have lots of like flyers here and there. You know? Yeah. But this way it's just like every time it's just like pretty, it's pretty good. You know? Yeah, and this is interesting, uh, you know, because we're not really talking about, I mean, 
we're talking about archery, but the, that the right. thing that had you bring it up to me before was like, this is like an interesting kind of deta more detailed metaphor than I expected actually of like when, when you're too focused on a certain objective, that in itself can kind of cause you to cause a mm -hmm. person to uh, overthink things. And like, it, it, I guess it's kind of like fear of success. I think that's what, what uh, the context and how you brought it up initially, right? Yeah, he said, uh, John Dudley in that video said that what you're like worried about, what you're afraid of is not missing. It's like, it's hitting the, the center of the ten ring, the bullseye. Like, that's what you're afraid of. And when I heard him say that, I was like, man, that's like, that's, that's real talk. Man. That's, that's wild for sure. But, like, there's yeah. something much bigger about that as well. Yeah. So how have you seen this, like, you were speaking about your goals at the time, like, and this is maybe a week ago you sent me this idea have you seen anything in like is there is there a version of like this target x or this uh not target exercise like taking the sights off with like a life goal for instance i can't say that i've developed some some big life goal that i'm chasing after now you know in this week but i i feel like i've seen some kind of like i've developed some kind of different feel and just how i feel yeah. generally like just a more of a calmness or like a, a single-mindedness in, in my thinking like lots of things that i was thinking about i just noticed how they now can just like they just kind of like drop out of the out of the way they're like in the periphery and they don't they don't come into like the, my, my focus but they just like they fall away you know uh you recognize what is like what's a distraction and what's not important yeah, I've been reading this book. Uh, it's actually kind of a little bit about trading, but it's also this guy, the guy who wrote it did all these experiments on how testosterone levels affect your success when you're trading securities or something, and, and among other things. But he's going through this whole thing on the nervous system and how our muscles react like five times faster than our conscious mind and even faster than our emotions. It's like when you, when you describe this whole like John Dudley practice, I'm thinking like is basically getting you can't really trust your conscious mind to do things right under pressure. Like you, I guess this is the point of drilling, like drilling anything. It's like your muscles react fast enough. And uh, cause when you, when you brought this idea up, I was thinking about like the goals that I have that when I fixate on them, I kind of distract myself. Like I've been, you know, if, if I, if I share like what I've been most frustrated about with myself, like I've been working on this book for like eight years and like I, I keep getting closer and then not finishing it. And when you brought this up, I was like, is it something about this pressure of completing the book that's making me overthink it and then miss the arrow or lose the thread I'm on? And um, I don't know, I've been thinking about what is, what is the version of like, I guess it's just like getting up and writing at the same time every day or something it would be like just pulling the, the string back or whatever. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I practiced Zen for a long time and um, in Zen meditation, Kind of like the, the question to everybody's like answer about things is always just like, well, just just sit with it. It's like you want to ask all these, like you want to get into these like debates and stuff. And then the teacher is just kind of like, mm -hmm. if you just sit with it, you know, and um, there's a difficulty in just sitting and doing nothing, you know, or just doing something very simple. I could notice that like, this is kind of more metaphorical again, but like if I'm shooting and I'm not, I'm not hitting the bullseye or I'm not, I don't have my sight on it. I'm just doing the exercise. I can be like, damn, like I'm just doing this practice. Like, I don't know if I'm getting better. I'm not testing myself. Like, how do I know if I'm going to hit the target? Cause I'm just shooting the fucking bail at 10 yards away. 
and I don't have a sight on or anything. It's like, I don't know. Like, and then you can get your mind into this whole thing where you're like, like, I, I don't know if this is going to work or not. And if it doesn't, then I've just wasted these three days when I could have been shooting with a sight on at 70 yards or whatever. Like, I think if there's an element of that constant testing, you want to always be like testing yourself and measuring yourself and like seeing if you're making it or not, that can be pretty, a pretty bad deal. Yeah, you and I have spoken about kettlebells a bit, uh, and it's like it's making me think. You may have heard this on Joe Rogan with Faraz Sahabi, like the difference between Russian style training and American style. Like American philosophy is like always go to failure, like all I like keep progressively overloading and stuff. Whereas like traditional Russian strength training is like you get your kettlebell and that's your kettlebell, and you just train with this weight until it becomes like stupid light. But you might be on the same weight for a long ass time. And you don't know if you're actually getting stronger because you're swinging the same weight. Like maybe you're getting a sense of like, it's only subjective, right? There's no external metric of I got stronger for using the same kettlebell, but that seems to give better gains. It seems to keep things more playful and light and easy. And it, it kind of, I guess, requires faith, right? Cause if you're not test, I mean, the whole need to test yourself is like this insecurity of like, I don't know if I'm actually getting better or not. I don't know if this thing that I'm working on is actually making me more, more Zen or more strong or more, wise or whatever yeah it's like you want to have it's like you want to have some kind of external result that you can like hold up and say like here it is like i've i've done it but like the feel of doing it comes from just doing these very simple things you know it's like an addiction to outcome you know that constant testing yourself if if you're hitting bullseyes all the time then you're really doing it i mean john dudley i heard another another video talk about how he sees you'll see like kids practicing and their parents are like standing behind them with the binoculars and every shot the kid takes, they look back at the parents to be like, where was it? You know, and he's like, that's so bad. He's like, that's so, so bad for your archery game. Cause like, that's something I haven't worried too much about. Like I'll shoot and shoot and shoot. And I, and when you shoot like far, if you shoot like 70 or 80 yards, you can't see where your arrow is on the target down there. Sometimes you can, but not real well. And I see guys out there with like binoculars and they look every time. And I'm just like, I don't understand what, what that does for you. It, like, it really doesn't do anything for you unless you're like trying to sight in a bow and you want to know where your arrow's hitting. Like then you need to know. But if you're just shooting, like your, your, your objective is the same, hit the center. And if you're holding where you need to, then like nothing's going to change if you know, if you, you know, whether or not you know where it's, uh, you know, hitting down the field. It's something I've wondered about actually, because like with really like I saw I saw this video where Joe Rogan hits a buck in the heart from like some uh, some distance where like you can't possibly see it. Like I've I've wondered how without like a scope, how do you actually see like what you're hitting? Like is it really just like an intuitive thing essentially? Well, the compound bow you have a sight, and yeah, there's no magnification or anything on a hunting bow. I mean, you couldn't hit. And like, I remember that, I think I know that video you're talking about. He was with John Dudley and he shot an elk at, someone to say, like 60 something yards. Yeah. So it's 60 yards. You can, you have like the way a sight on a compound bow works is that when you pull back, right, you have your string kind of coming down this way across your face and there's like a little peak with just like a little metal circle. And then on the bow, there's an actual sight that has different pins for different yardages. Or sometimes they have one pin and it's adjustable. Gotcha. So that pin is pretty small and has like a little fiber, fiber optic, like glow type site. Gotcha. And you can get like at 60 yards, you can, I don't know what the, what that 
maybe like two or three inches that that pin kind of like magnifies out to you know 60 yards so you can be pretty accurate you know if you're a good shot but like yeah to kill something and make a good shot at 60 some yards is like that's high that's a high skill level gotcha of archery yeah i've been trying to kill these pigeons at maybe 15 yards not even maybe close yeah maybe like 10 to 15 yards with no sight and i keep missing pretty bad <laughs> except for this one <laughs> yeah i mean with a man shooting shooting trad bows which is like trad is like a non-compound bow which is a, and with no sight and it's only like 25 pounds or something like that it's hard to be very accurate with that yeah, you know, I, I felt really bad. I mean, I've killed two animals so far. Both of them were not clean kills, and I feel pretty shitty about it. Like, uh, like it took, like, five arrows to kill this pigeon. E even the last couple were, like, almost at point-blank range. And if I had known, I probably would have really taken my time with the headshot. But I thought, oh, an arrow is, like, you know, a pigeon's like this big. Like, was the pigeon, like, flopping? Well, after the first two shots, it stopped moving. So I thought it was dead for sure. It had two arrows through, through it clean. And then I went to go get like gloves to like dispose of it. But it, it was a good flapping around when I came back. And it, I mean, it was really gross. I won't describe it. I mean, to the people, but like, <laughs> it was like a horror scene. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe it was still alive. Like I felt, I ended up having to chop its head off because I wasn't, I wasn't sure if the arrows were going to kill it or not. Yeah. I mean, they'll die. You know, sometimes it takes a few seconds, but well, we used to hunt, I used to hunt dove. And Texas dove hunting is like a popular thing. You just sit by like a big water tank with the shotguns and doves fly by and everybody shoots doves and you have like a big um, cookout afterwards with all the dead meat. But I mean, often you shoot them with a shotgun, they don't always just like die right away. They hit the ground and then they might flop. So we just grab them and just twist their head off. That's gotcha. Uh, so you know, Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, if you can get a hand on them, just grab them and just pop his head off and that's like, you know, I kill a bird. Gotcha. I mean, it's like a chicken or something. You know, they cut their heads off. It's the fastest way. Yeah. I told you the one chicken I slaughtered. It wasn't a clean kill either, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. but anyway, I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah, you got to, I think you got to, I've never killed a chicken, but I've seen people do it and they just cut their head totally off. Yeah. I saw this video of, uh, and this, this chick on one of these Alaska shows. And they had this this setup that was like a uh, it was a cone with a hole in the bottom. And when she right. killed chickens, she would just stick their head in there and cut their head and off. Yeah, that's what my buddy said I should set up uh, to do, but I didn't I didn't bother. You know, it's funny. I had eight chickens back then. Went on vacation because there's pollution uh, around here um, in February. So six of my chickens or five of them died. And I only have two left. And like now they really feel like pets. Like before they were like, like livestock, they're all anonymous, but now there's only two of them. And I feel like this sentimental attachment to them because uh, now I can identify them. I don't know, it's weird. It's like how they kind of transition in my mind because they're, <laughs> they're rare. <laughs> anyway, actually, uh, have you read the book, The Inner Game of Tennis? No. Well, it's like, so, so some of the stuff you're describing with the target panic is very similar. Like his whole thing, using tennis as a metaphor is like, when you remember all the things you're supposed to do in tennis, I don't know what they are, but like plant your feet or not plant your feet or whatever you're supposed to do with your feet and then your racket, whatever, people always hit the ball weird. But if they stop thinking about the action and just focus on something like the seams of the ball, they usually end up having perfect form or something like that. And that's something I've thought about a lot. 
And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like with, with all of this stuff where it's easy to choke, whether it's like shooting a bow or a creative process or whatever, it's like a lot of it seems to be figuring out what the right thing to focus on is because the wrong thing just makes you mess up. It'd be cool to come up with like a maxim or like a set of rules for this in life. But I guess, you know, if it was that easy, uh, we would not choke. I was thinking about that. And I think what, um, I think what a big thing I've been learning about, about shooting and with this bow is that it's just a matter of like isolating elements so that you don't have any option, but to just think about one thing, like, when I shoot my bow, I just take the sight off. And it's not like I could be like, I'm not going to think about this sight. But the sight is there and my attention is going to be drawn to it. So I just take it off so it's not even an option. So where I can't even like try to aim if I wanted to. All I can do is just work on this one thing. And then because I feel like your conscious intention can really only be focused on like one thing. Or maybe, maybe it can or it can't, but it's optimal for it to be only focused on one thing yeah and you need to be able to have it only focus on one thing by having a foundation of of other things kind of in place where they do themselves automatically so they're like if you wanted to play tennis and you didn't want to think about how to plant your feet maybe you do some drills to to like learn how to feel a good base with your feet and you wouldn't even like hold a racket or something yeah. like i like to i like the olympic weight lift so like those movements could be like kind of complex and the, essentially the processes of, of training is a, like to snatch and clean and jerk is like to break down the different elements of these, these lifts. So that like, if you want to work on your jerk and you're new starting out, you might work on like a split jerk without even, without a bar or anything in your hand, not even like a PVC and just learn how to place your feet the right way. And if you do a bunch of those drills and you learn how to place your feet the right way, now you've got a pretty good foundation like to build upon. Then you can start when you're hitting your marks and you're like, I did a drill. I would do a drill where I would uh, make a chalk mark where it was in my middle point where I started from feet square. And then like a little mark in front where my front foot went and another one behind where my back foot went and just try to hit those marks every time and just do that. And then you get to where you can do that without like thinking about it or consciously, that's just where your feet go when you split your, you know? mm -hmm. then you can start learning how to like take a PVC and put it up above head. So you just like isolate these little elements and, and just like build upon them. But it's difficult because it's not fun and it's not cool. It's not like mm -hmm. sexy, you know, just like to just like shoot a bow a hundred times without looking at the target and not get to see your arrow hit a bullseye. You know, and like at the range, nobody else at the archer range I go to would do that. Yeah. So they're be like, man, I look like a dummy. Just, I'm shooting. <laughs> be like, why is he shooting the fucking ten yard bail with a compound bow? But and he took his sight off. You know? <laughs> when you say that, and maybe because I haven't really done archery, I'm like, that actually. I mean, if I think of like in child mind, almost like, what does a kid want to do if he gets a bow, or like a kid want to do if he like is given a hammer? by his dad is like he doesn't actually care to build something it's just something about like I remember being a kid yeah. and like having a little like toy-ish hammer and like I just wanted to hammer like the bumper in my dad's car like I didn't care about nails or like what I was building like there's something about the action right. that's fun and uh so when you say that I'm like well if I really I mean personally if like I didn't care about hitting stuff in my like little boy brain like just pulling the bow back and doing that probably would be fun like a kid would love to just shoot a, a hay bale at point blank 
range and like maybe it's getting into that kind of headspace yeah i think so it's like a beginner's mind you really gotta keep you know to do stuff like that yeah and you will get to where i will get to where i enjoy it because then when you start getting um it's like when you do stuff like that you start developing this like subtle feel and it feels really good and to where you just like this motion just like is very it just feels good you know because when you first start doing it, you're like, okay, this is going to be, maybe this is going to be boring where I just pop back my, but then as you start doing it, it's like these like levels of subtlety start kind of coming out and how you want to do it. So it's like the squeeze, how hard do I squeeze in my hand? Should I, how like, how deep should I grab the, the thumb button with my thumb? Should I touch it right here? Should I touch it right here? Like, do I want to pull with my focus on pulling with my back or should I, because I'm driving my elbow up and back. These like little subtle things change how you do it uh, a lot. Yeah. It changes your feel of it a lot. And so now you're like, you feel the, like the feel of it is getting like that much tighter and tighter and tighter. Instead of focusing on being downfield and having like a, a group that hits like that or whatever, or having, you know, on, on seeing a result and then being, being like, I can claim that to now you that result is like something that you just like inherently feel like in your body. it's kind of like you're training your nervous system not only to get good at it but to enjoy the action like again i'm thinking weightlifting like if you're looking at the number or like i have to get to a certain number of reps it's tempting to cheat on your form just to squeeze out that extra rep but then you're messing yourself up in the long run you know yeah yeah i was thinking about um when pa- I heard Pablo Tatsulin one time, he said uh, this idea of like the having to test or like having to have the outcome that like the top power lifters in the world peak like once or maybe twice a year. So it's like they're only really like testing themselves and seeing what kind of numbers they're putting up once or twice an entire year. And the rest of the time, they're just like, that's what they're doing is they're just like training, going through these motions every day. Yeah, so it's like the strongest guys. That's what they do. Like, if you want to be really good, that's what you do. You know, you just gotta go through these simple motions. Yeah, and I, I was um, to think about that, like what that means in the bigger context of your life. Like, if you have a major goal, I think what happens is if your major goal is like analogous to hitting the bullseye down the field, you can get this panicky thing where you worry about uh, if you're not gonna if you can do it or not. You know, John Dudley talked. He talked about like you didn't want. It's like a fear of hitting the target. So it's like there's this fear of hitting the thing, because then all these like distractions that are like kind of surrounding you um, will fall away. And I think I was thinking about that. Like you need to give these things up to hit that thing, but I think you don't need to give those things up necessarily to hit that thing. It's more just like regaining like a focus like to stay on that thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and those things will just kind of like fall away you know because like that if you have like some kind of habit like you want to lose weight say and you want to and you get stronger you're like lifting weights and want to get in shape and you are like if your mind is occupied by like giving away food because like that's something i've had a lot of trouble with i'm i'm a big eater I've managed to not get real, real fat because I like I'm real active and stuff too. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't, I'd be like 400 pounds. I mean, I can like yeah. yeah. But like, 
if you're real concentrated on like the just this constant like negation and it just feels fucking terrible it's like yeah constant, just like eating yourself up do you mind, do you mind you talking about, about that it? a little bit more? Like, it's like, yeah, I know like re- recently you, you kind of slipped up and you gained a bunch of weight and then you lost it again. Like, could you, could you share like, so if we bring this target panic analogy to like, say this, and then how you've, you know, like, like what is the shift? Cause I think that's like a really relatable thing with, with health yeah. and all that stuff. Like, so it just to, just to bring this into your analogy, it's like your target was, to, to be a certain way in your body, to lose a certain amount of weight. You've known how to do that. You know, you've, you've been fit before, but then something about the fear of that is what makes you, let's say target panic, which in, in, in effect is like eat too much when you know you don't mean to or something. Yeah. It's almost like uh, on a long-term goal, you can't have it like right now. Like I'm not going to be at whatever weight that it was at shooting for I think it was like 205 I wanted to get down to like 205 you're not going to be at that weight right now and it's like being in that weight is a that's an outcome it's like it's like hitting the bullseye and being in that weight is not necessarily anything that you're going to experience like it's representational something you experience whereas like hitting a bullseye is it's representational of excellence precision and calmness in your like shooting technique when you're doing this you hit the bullseye when you just do this consistently so i i would think that the way i thought about losing weight is like it's just like it's kind of a straining sort of energy and a kind of just like that straining kind of anxious energy about like am i going to hit this target am i going to hit this target and like hoping it's like there's like a hoping or not even a hoping like a wishing that you're going to hit that target without having like the physical, like palpable tools with which to hit that target. Yeah. And in the context of like, I guess losing weight, I, I've just like, I've taken the practice of first of just like forgetting about like this constant life, like forcing myself to not eat this, not eat that. And I found that I've not, that I've lost some weight since doing that. Not crazy amounts. Cause I've done like, I've done, you know, one month or a couple months periods and where I've lost a lot of weight real quick or I can like, I can fast. I've gone like three days and all that. I didn't like when I first started talking to you. I did a 72 hour fast, but it doesn't seem to be sustainable. Not that there's anything wrong with doing this stuff. I think it's good. Definitely do more. But in my like day-to-day life, I just was like, and it's just like a drag, you know, it's a constant like drag on myself to always be worrying about so what is my goal? My goal, I could have a number in mind that I would like to hit and maybe, but what is my, I like, why do I want to be in shape? Well, because I just would, because it would feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have a lot of thoughts going like, well, I might get laid more if I'm in better shape. I might, you know, I might look better. The reality of that is though, that like the women I've dated, they couldn't have given a fuck less if I was any thinner, like, Mm-hmm. And they, a lot of them really like me having kind of like a dad bod. And I, I'm like muscular. I got my word lift weights. I got like mm-hmm. big muscles and strong stuff. So that, the reality, probably that's not really stopping me from getting laid. But I, I want to be, because when I've been thinner, I just felt better. Like in my life, I yeah. felt better about life, you know. Like it's a, it's a drag to be kind of like overweight. Yeah. So like the, I think the thing to think about is that, is the feeling, not, a, not the, not the result. Cause like we get so attached to like 
what it is, what it was my thing look like? What does my life look like? What do my results look like? But like, what you need to know is like, what does it feel to be, what does it feel like to be thin? Like, what does it feel like to be a guy who knows when he draws back, like he's hitting where he, he wants to. So. Yeah, it's kind of like fine tuning. Yeah, fine, like training the feeling. Like you're training, like you're fine tuning that with every rep, you pull the, the bowstring back. Like you said, like you're kind of calibrating what's the perfect feeling so that even mm -hmm. before you release, you know, it's, it just feels great. So like with this example, it's like, instead of straining to not eat junk food, for instance, can you practice enjoying eating healthy? It's like almost like you're practicing a different emotional reaction. Yeah, because like eating that junky food doesn't, the feel of that is not good. It doesn't feel good. Like nobody yeah. ever eats that stuff. Like you eat that shit like raw. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at the Zen Center one time, there was a guy who was, uh, we had this like uh, group and he'd give a, every, every week, uh, like somebody from the group would give a different talk about what, just whatever they felt like. And then we would kind of like expound on that, have a short meditation. And he was a chef and he was talking about mindful eating. And it was like, I remember he said one time I, I got a Big Mac from McDonald's and I just like ate it very mindfully and it was disgusting. It's just like <laughs> <roast>. <laughs> so like nobody it's not the kind of thing that you if you were like in this kind of like feel state you just wouldn't want that so i think the yeah the biggest thing is like to cultivate this kind of like feel state yeah or you recognize like so i have a friend who uh she's super skinny she used to uh she used to own a, a bakery so she'd be around cakes all day and she's like su super thin and people always be like how the hell are you like so skinny when you are literally making cakes and like tasting them all day? And she's just like, I love cake, but I get full really fast. Like as soon as she's full, she just stops. And like, I was thinking about that with like other addictive behaviors, like porn or like certain substances is like, there's something about it. Like you're saying, like, no one does it mindfully. No one's like, ah, oh, I'm going to be a, a connoisseur of this Big Mac or this pornography right. video and appreciate <laughs> the art, art of it, you know? Uh, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, but maybe, you know, if you did do that, maybe you could enjoy heroin in a, in a responsible way, like really being, I don't know if that's true, but with certain things. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. I heard, uh, do you know who Carl Hart is? Yeah, yeah I was thinking of him. Like, I, I imagine he, he probably doesn't binge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, you know, who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. To just like you know just be a connoisseur of every like be a snob of like every vice like a snob of actually you probably wouldn't drink cheap beer if you're really a beer snob yeah yeah and i guess like in fancy restaurants the portions are always really small people are just trying to taste them yeah that's true i remember i went someplace here in anchorage other than alaska and uh, um, my dad sent mom up here and we went to this pretty nice restaurant to eat and they got like they got salmon or halibut or i think they each got like salmon or halibut and they brought him this like tiny piece of fish and i was like damn that's all you get shit because i just got a <laughs> yeah i just got a ribeye and i was like that's but you know that's a rare thing i i spent a summer but the first summer i moved up here i spent commercial fishing catching king salmon so like we ate king salmon i get like a i eat like a fucking you know two pound like king salmon filet all the time for dinner i was just like i thought that this seemed normal so yeah, for them, it was like a huge treat to get this super fresh, I'm sure, king salmon that was like delicious and expertly cooked. I find like excellent chefs and stuff too. Yeah. 
Although I do wonder sometimes, like with, with certain snobby things, I've been debating this with my buddy who's like kind of turned me into a coffee snob. I used to just be able to drink any coffee, but like he's been introducing me to good coffee. So like, which basically means I don't appreciate most coffee now. Um, I was thinking like how much of that is real, you know, like the whole thing of uh, even wine experts can't really tell when wine is good. It's just if it's expensive, they think it's good. I don't know. That's a whole thing. Yeah, there might, but there's like, that's, I'm sure that there's like, there's the levels right to it, but like, at what point is it kind of bullshit? You know, yeah. Cause like, I like good coffee. I don't drink. Like I get an espresso, you know, I like to drink good espresso. And like, I can tell that the espresso from like the local Pilate brothers in Anchorage is better than the one from Starbucks. I mean, it tastes a lot better to me. And it sure as fuck is better than like some drip ass fucking Folgers shit like I wouldn't even just like I would just like not drink coffee if that's all there was if somebody was just like handing me a big cup of drip coffee from a bun machine I'd be like that's I don't I don't want that you know that's not what I want. <laughs> it's just like it wouldn't be good you know? yeah oh actually one, one thing I wanted to bring up from before because uh, this book I've been reading um it's uh, called the the hour between wolf and dog it was saying how uh well at least one theory is like I said, your muscles react to stimuli before your mind, but also before your emotions. And there's a theory that your emotions actually respond to what your muscles are doing and then your brain processes it. So it's like uh, you see a predator, your muscles tends to run away. A few milliseconds later, your, your, your hormones release certain things that give you an emotion in response to what your muscles did. Like if you could somehow train your muscles to not contract, you actually wouldn't feel fear. It's kind of like the, it's like your, your, your physical posture tells your feelings what to feel. Kind of like the power poses thing. Like you put your hand, whatever, I mean, it sounds silly, but you put your hands on your hips, you feel confident. And uh, yeah, I just want to, you know, I, I kind of want to just boil home, like the, whatever the lessons are of this, this target panic metaphor uh, that I really like that you brought up. Something about training your emotions, I just find really interesting. I guess in that like space of that very subtle and simple practice, there's like an emotionality that you can, because when you're just focused on this like very simple thing to do, it's, I don't know, maybe you can, your emotions like don't get the better of you, you know, in these moments, yeah. and then you can just like stay calm and let them come and go as they, as they need to, and then recognize like what it is that you need to recognize when you need to follow them or not like yeah well because it's also like uh even with this the snobby being snobby on coffee or whatever wine we're saying like some it's not like maybe it's total bullshit but like there's something that can be trained right like you can kind of you could i mean a good marketer could probably convince someone like the whole butter coffee thing i don't know if you're you're into that but like uh you know a marketer kind of came up with that maybe it's got the health benefits but you have all these people like loving the idea and loving the taste all of a sudden kind of because they were convinced of it it's like someone got in their head to make them love the taste of like oil at the top of their coffee um and it's like okay whether it's bullshit or not can you actively train yourself to, to love going to the gym or love writing in the morning when you have resistance like can you or like just love pulling the string back so you don't care about what happens and like it becomes more of an intrinsic thing like it's almost like, uh, well, anyway, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about a, a weird thought, but like uh, like training yourself to love certain things that you know are good for you. I guess that's where the feel comes in. It's like you learn to love it because you learn how you 
when you start focusing more about how you feel instead of uh, how you think about things, like you realize that like you learn to love those things when you just like calm down and let yourself feel how good they are. Just simple things like pulling a bow back or hitting a nice snatch or like doing a kettlebell, doing a Turkish get up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how you learn to love those things. And then also in the context of a, like a bigger goal, you can recognize how they're serving that bigger goal, like how these these small things that you're doing are driving you forward. Yeah. Towards that goal. Yeah, for, for some reason, I just like, it just popped in my head, like Mike Tyson. I forget who he was speaking to, but like, I'm going to F you until you love me. It's like, I don't, I don't know why that came to mind. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but like, it's something about like, yeah, if you do something with the right attitude, you can love it somehow, even if it sucks. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of into butter coffee also for a minute because I had a girlfriend that was really into, she drank a butter coffee every morning. So I tried to be ketogenic, but she wasn't. She like ate whatever the fuck she wanted the rest of the day. Yeah. And it is. I also thought like, but don't we already put like you just put cream in your coffee? That's pretty much all fat, anyways. And then yeah, if you're just not having any calories, you're gonna be ketogenic anyways. So yeah. I really <laughs> liked you know. So I'll just say like so. Uh, Dave Asprey's the guy who made it popular. I saw him speak. This is not a knock on him by any means, but like I saw him speak at a convention and he kept talking about, and he was like pitching and like revealing his whole special coffee line. And like, he kept bringing up all these stats and like all these ideas that were, were, I knew they were unprovable, but the benefits he shared seemed so amazing. They were like everything that I wanted to experience. So even though like my, my brain was like, come on, like not all this could be true. Some part of me was like, if only half of what he's claiming is true, this is amazing. And then I ended up spending, I ended up spending like 200 bucks while being skeptical on all of his products. I bought his protein, his collagen, his coffee. Cause I was like, this is probably bullshit. Uh, but if it's even half true or 10% true, it's worth it. And he got me to buy all this shit. And then for a long time, I was doing the butter coffee thing, thinking like, trying to convince myself to love it. Like other people would criticize me for it. Like, oh, that's so gross. Like, no, no, here's all the benefits, keto, blah, 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 butters of food. But now I look back and it's like, yeah, it's just kind of gross to drink coffee and have like grease all over your face from the butter because it all floats to the top. Anyway. <laughs> I, I personally, I really like the taste of butter coffee. I think it's pretty delicious. Did you really? Or yeah, were you just convinced? Were you just convinced? No, I did. Benefits? I really did. No, I didn't think too much about the benefits. I, I liked it. I thought it tasted really good. If you use some good butter, I, I liked it a lot. I, don't I know. stopped doing it because I just don't ever make coffee at home anymore. I just usually just go get espresso or whatever anymore. Because I like espresso is the best. Thing. That's good. Espresso. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy with cream. <laughs> I'm happy with getting my yeah. fat elsewhere. Um, yeah. Cool, man. So anything else going on in your world you want to share? Yeah. Uh, I also was thinking about, have you read the book Siddhartha? Oh, yeah. yeah. Herman Hess? Twice. You know, there's a, oh, man, I read that. That's like, I think that's my favorite novel. I mean, I think for men, like, this is like the, this is like the hero's journey distilled mm -hmm. into very basic elements. You know? But there's a part in the book where he goes, when he first goes to work for Kamaswami, he's like, well, what, why should I hire you? You're just like this sadhu from the woods. Like, you can't do anything. He's like, you can you know how to read a little bit, but which is valuable at that time. But it's like, what can you do? Like, you can't do anything. And he's like, I can think, I can fast, I can wait. Those three things are of 
the utmost importance, I think, because like when you can do those things, like you can do anything. Because like from when you can think, and like by think, I mean like not think where you're just like contemplating, but like to think critically about things and like honestly and not in a reactive way. Because like so many of our thoughts are just like things that we just like bounce around back and forth. And fast, to fast is like to do without external stimuli, whether it be food or whatever name name your like vices you want to take in media mm-hmm. music whatever and then if you can wait to not have to to like pounce on whatever is like right in front of you it's just like can you do without things and like be all right where you're at right now and i think that's an important that comes into this like target panic idea where you can do those three things and you can be unreactive and like let yourself stay in the situation of being, of doing something really, really simple and really straightforward and not have to worry about what else, what else is going on around you. Like you can just sit and, and do this over and over and over again and not have to worry about, am I hitting, am I going to hit the target? Like, is this getting better? Is this what I should be doing to hit the target? Like, is this, am I wasting my time? And I think it's just important to be able to do simple things like that. Yeah. Because like everything, you, whatever it is you do is just like, is these like, it's like your thoughts, you can make big decisions with your thoughts about large changes in your, in your life. But in your like day-to-day feel of how you want to execute and achieve those things, you just have to do lots of small things. So if you want to like, I'm looking to become a pilot. If I want to become a pilot, like, it can be easy to get panicky and think like, cause it's being, being like a pilot where I'm working and earning a living is, is a ways away. Like it's a, it's far away from me right now. It can be boring to do the things I need to do to get to that point where I can say I'm a pilot and I can just like get on a plane and go fly around or get hired to fly around and like have a good time doing it. But like to go take the time, go to the doctor, get my medical certificate is like boring. And it's like, you don't want to do it because you're like, well, I can do it later. You know, like, it's not, right. I don't have to do it right now because I'm not going to start flying. So I don't have to do it right now. But it's like, I have, I'm off work earlier this afternoon. Okay. This is the time to just like go do something mundane and boring like that and get my medical certificate. And I found that like doing things like that feels incredibly rewarding. I, for a lot of years, I kind of lived this, not, I wouldn't say like how long because I wasn't criminal, but I just like didn't keep up on official things that I had to do. Like I had a, I went five years with an expired driver's license because I like lived out in the country and like it just, it was kind of an issue sometimes, like I would have needed, you know, but I got by without it and I was like, I don't want to fuck with it. You know, I don't want to do it. And then I had to like deal with it again. I had to like retake my driver's test when I was like 25. Yeah, because it's been expired so long when I got it back. But like keeping up with things like that feels really feels really good. And now it's like I got that little thing. Now I can take the next step. Or now I'm like it's. It feels like you have. It's just like it's just like having that feel of doing this. It's like I have that. It's something I feel that I have that I know that is like palpable. That is like in my favor, and that is like it gives me freedom to to do something more. Yeah. And like on the, yeah, on the material level, it's like kind of like compounding interest. Like this one day doesn't seem like a big deal, but you keep doing it. It's like, you know, it's a a huge difference. I think with that thing, I'm glad you brought that up. It's like, that's the first thing I thought of when you brought up Siddhartha and it's just like, uh, 
the weight part has been the hardest part for me. Like I really, you know, I, I would have taken, I probably would have been a lot closer to certain goals if I was able to think like in really long-term timeframes, which I just wasn't able to, I just didn't do when I was younger for whatever reason. Like this idea of like, I don't need X by X date. I just need to do today's work. I mean, it sounds so cliche, but like, you know, that's kind of just like getting the reps in and enjoying the process and trusting that it's, it's uh, hitting the mark. It's been personally hard for me actually, but I'm going to try to not try. I'm going to remember to do this a little better with my, uh, I'm going to remember to do this better with my, with my writing, for instance. Yeah. I've had trouble. I think the, well, the biggest ones that are in trouble for me, I don't know, is, would be fa is fasting for sure. Cause like I'm pretty, I don't know, I'm just externally focused about a lot of stuff. For one, the big, I mean, my Zen practice has like been a huge, has really taught me how to think fast and wait for sure. That's essentially what the practice is. But yeah, when I was younger, I didn't do it either. And I remember now I live, I moved, I live in Alaska now and I moved here about three years ago when I'm 37. When I was 18, I, I left home, I graduated high school when I was 17, actually. I turned 18 shortly after. I went and left home like right away, like the day after I graduated. And I went out west and I worked, and I went to this, uh, guide school I wanted to be a hunting guide I wasn't sure where I go I was like I kind of like as fears like grow up and you're in the hunting then like Alaska is just like this mystical thing you know and this guy that ran this guide school would like if you wanted to go work afterwards he would put hook you up with a job with some some of his like outfitter buddies it's like guides are in short supply it's not an easy job to do it doesn't pay shit and like they always need people to do it. And most of the people that went to that thing were like my age now. Like they were just kind of like, it was a, like a hobby thing or an adventure thing. So I was the only one of the only ones. And a job came up in Alaska. Like he's like, there's a thing in Alaska. You can go to Alaska if you want. In Alaska, it's tougher to become a guide here than it is in Western states. In the Western states, you just like, you get hired by an outfitter, you get a guy's license right away and you're a guy. In Alaska, you had to, work for three years as like a as like a helper basically just like packing fucking meat and shit on your back you know and just like really ass work um or it'd be like a fishing guide or like wh whatever it's a it's a little bit of a time where you can be like a honey guide and at the time i was like man i don't want to wait three fucking years before i can guide hunters you know like at 18 it just like seemed like forever i was like there's no fucking way i want to do that and uh, and I didn't go. I didn't come to Alaska. And I stayed and worked in the West. But if I had, it's like it's that building. It was it's like a simple thing, doing these simple things, and that would have set a a real strong foundation that I could have just kept building and building and building. Yeah. And you can you know you can do that by just like doing it without. It's like I needed. I was like I need that. I don't want that. Like I want that feeling like I've arrived and I'm doing it. You know, you can't get that to you, like, just do the simple things. You can't, like, you can't hit that target consistently with precision um, over and over again because you just know you can without doing the same, if, doing the simple, like, thing. And if you, um, if you're trying to, you're just kind of, like, hoping and wishing and you're throwing Hail Marys, you know, here and there and just, like, fixated on that end result. And, I think that kind of sums up what I was thinking of. Yeah. This target panic analogy. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, it's, it's been fun speaking. I really like this analogy. And like, this is one of these conversations is going to have me really th rethink my, uh, 
rethink oh, cool, the setting. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, <laughs> you know, cause like, you know, I've been, I, 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 when, you, when you first brought up this idea, it's like, it's been like a week and a half or something or whatever, two weeks. I have been, you know, little things have been popping up. It's like, man, I've been working on this history show for like five months. It's still, still not done. I'm working on my book for forever. And it, and it makes me want to be like, fuck it. Like, and just not touch it, which I guess is like the equivalent of binge eating, for instance, right? It's just like, fuck it. It's too far away. But it's like, oh yeah, I mean, this is, this is just the process. I mean, it's like tra- retraining your feelings, getting like in love with the process, really enjoying it. And by that you hit the target, you know, so. Yeah. I think to go back to this just one more time to this like feeling of the fear. It's like, why do you, if you're thinking about what it is that you want to be, like, what is it about that that you admire so much? Like, if you want to be, like, if I want to be uh, a pilot, like, why do I think being a pilot is cool? Because for one, it's a courageous thing to do to be like a bush pilot in Alaska. And like, to do it, you have to be you have to be extremely organized. You can't be contrary to what people might think. You can't be like a fucking, it's not about being like a wild bastard and just like taking chances. It's actually the opposite. You can be extremely calculated and organized and very, very good at like managing risk and knowing what to do and what to do and how to be like really, really decisive. So it's like, what is that? What is that pilot's mindset like? What is that guy like? Is he like somebody who just like is like nervous and yeah? Does he put off like his medical? <laughs> does he put off his medical appointment? Put off his medical, <laughs> you know? Does he like not take care of these simple things? That he does? does he like not check to make sure that the fuel cap is on tight? You know? Does he not make sure that the people that are coming with are like are bringing the correct uh, weight in their baggage as they're supposed to like? Is he putting off these little simple things? Like, he's probably not. If he's going to be any good at it, he's not going to be doing that stuff. And you're not going to get to that level if you're not, you know, if you're not doing that stuff. So the reason you think that is cool because it it feels it feels good to be like that. Like, it, it feels good to be that way. That's not like some kind of um, hard thing that you got to give up and sacrificing and... Uh, discipline yourself for i mean you do you have to do all those things but it's not like a negation it's not like living in this like uh negative space where you're just like kind of beating yourself up stripping away aggressively like taking away bad habits it's just a it's a choosing of of simple and like excellent feeling and 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 habits and it's it's integrity you know like that's basically what it is yeah whatever it is you think that you really want to do if you think about how that how people who do that are, what does it feel like to be them? And then you want to just like, you want to build that feel. I think that's the thing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause those qualities are accessible now, even if the material result isn't. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. I think that's a great place to end. Um, yeah. Thanks. This is a great conversation. And uh, we got to go hunting at some point. At some point I'll make it somewhere with a real bow. <laughs> and yeah. You got to get a real bow and, yeah. Did you say she built the archery range at your house? No, I was starting to build one. I mean, build one out of like old carpets and stuff. But I'm kind of afraid of shooting over my fence and hitting my neighbor because I, I don't have that yeah. much space. So uh, so not really. I might I might put up something at some point somewhere. But right now I'm just trying to kill pigeons. <laughs> we can talk about archery and I'll, I'll help you get into what it is that you need to get. We, we got to get. 
Yeah, I'll hit you up about equipment and stuff. Cool, okay. Cool, yeah, thanks for having me on here. This is fun. For sure.